And when I started beekeeping, obviously I was interested in any kind of connection between business and bees and the organization of the hive. And it's always been portrayed that it's a feminine monarchy, that you have a queen and she rules all these female worker bees. And then you have a few male bees that just do as they're told, eat, fed, get pampered and go off and mate with a queen and fall to their deaths. But in actual fact, there's this amazing quote, which I'm afraid to say, I cannot remember who said it, but every decision a bee makes is for the good of the species. Every decision a human makes is for the good of the self. And when you are running a business or you're inside a hive, you have to think about the consequences for the whole being. And with honeybees, we see a single bee and we think it's a whole being, but it isn't. It's part of a super organism, which is 50,000 bees. So if you want to go into sort of really deep spiritual stuff, those drones are absorbing the information from how all these other colonies of honeybees are organizing themselves, where they're getting their forage. And then when the male bee mates with the queen, it's on a really special energetic spot. Um, so they have these drone congregation areas, which are often sort of cross points of, of energetic geopathic stress lines. Inspired by nature and actioned by change, the New Earth Business Podcast brings you slow, sustainable, scalable business advice, controversial conversations and sacred medicine stories. Listen in as I chat with global change makers and creative visionaries to help you turn your passion into purpose and your business visions into earth abundance. I have always been totally and utterly inspired and intrigued by bees, if a little scared. So today's episode, I had the pleasure of interviewing a lady called Paula Carnell, who is somebody that works with organizations worldwide who want to work with bees and honey in a sustainable naturopathic way. This deep dive is enlightening, it is eye-opening, and you are never going to look at a bee, a honeybee, in the same way again. Bees have their own frequency, this is what I learned, and so it wasn't surprising that the day that I recorded this podcast, I also had this incredible bee experience of my own, where I got to catch a swarm with another fellow wild beekeeper, to then take that to his hive where um, they were going to live until they swarmed off again. And I'm going to share more about that story at the end of this podcast. So I'll leave that for you to um, get excited about throughout this conversation. I've also got some great footage that will be flowing out on Instagram of me literally in a swarm of bees. I had calmed my nervous system down to a point where I was welcomed by the bees and they didn't actually sting me so yeah totally totally blown away by this 
But just getting a bit more into this episode before we actually give it a listen. So Paula Carnell first started her own business in 1990 as an artist, as a greeting card publisher, and eventually she owned her own gallery. She exhibited globally and her painting souls for five figures and more. Then after 20 years, she fell ill and ended up in bed and wheelchair bound with something called Ehlers-Danos Syndrome. Danlos syndrome, sorry, correction there. During her cocoon phase, her husband built her a beehive and the bees moved in. Following her remarkable full recovery, using herbal medicines and plant-based minerals, Paula then re-emerged, creating a buzz about health, which is her slogan and also the name of her podcast. And she now shares the wisdom that she gains from the bees and understanding the connection between our own health and theirs. You're going to love this episode. If you didn't love bees already, you're going to leave finding this new affinity to them just like I did. So without further ado, let's let the conversation roll. But before we get into the episode, this is the perfect time for me to do a bit of unashamable self-promotion because it's my podcast and I can. (laughs) So these podcast episodes give me so much life so much joy i get to speak to the most amazing people and they take me two full working days to organize record create edit and do all the graphics for and the videos for to go out on instagram maybe it's a bit more than two full work days per episode anyway I was looking at potential sponsorship deals and getting um, somebody to fund part of the podcast, but I haven't landed on that right person yet. Also, I love the fact that I don't have adverts and I also don't have strict delivery times. If you notice, this podcast comes out kind of as and when. I, I had quite a good run with posting episodes every two weeks over the end of winter now that the the weather's getting a bit warmer i feel like that might stretch to about every three three weeks or potentially every month but let's see i'm an intuitive being and i like to flow with the seasons and i know that if you're listening to this podcast you're also not going to expect me to be coming out with a rigid regime of publishing podcasts anyway What I would like to ask of you as the listener is if you listen to an episode and you love it, if you listen to an episode and it inspires you or you go and actually do one of those things that has been um, given to you by one of our amazing wisdom keepers and the people that I interview, then I would love for you to, as sacred reciprocity, donate um, to this podcast. So I'm gonna say it (laughs) out loud. And it's really hard, as you can hear, my voice is slightly tensing up. It's very hard for me to ask. And it's really hard for me to accept that I am doing something that does require some form of reciprocity and do you know what really helps the form of reciprocity as money in this case so 
I'm gonna start leaving my PayPal link below so that if you feel the urge, if you feel the vibe, if you're getting something from this, please donate. It can be a really little donation or it can be huge. No matter what it is, it really helps for me to keep going with this podcast, for me to take that time out of other work to be able to deliver to you this medicine, these conversations. The more the podcast grows, the more money I get to put behind it, the more videos and little short anecdotes and clips that I get to create with a video producer for it so that my Instagram can just be all of these wisdom bombs and that is what I am I'm really working towards so you can get the benefit of every single conversation that I have with a new earth business leader and anybody that donates will get a personal message from me on Instagram if you donate then do make sure that you ping me a DM at Emma Shoesmith and um, and I can send you that personal message as well and just give you a big thank you. So that's my unashamable self-promotion and personal ask for, for finances. And you know what? That's okay. And if you're not already doing that in your business in some way, then I encourage you to do what I've just done and get brave and do it yourself. All right, that's everything from me for now. And I hope you love this episode as much as I loved recording it. Hello and welcome back to the New Earth Business Podcast. I am here with Paula Carnell, who is the queen of the bees for me. (laughs) We met at a women's business networking conference uh, in Somerset and she was a speaker I was totally blown away by her story and what she's doing with the bees currently. So Paula, massive warm welcome to the New Earth Business Podcast. Well, thank you so much. And I was so excited when I met you and I've just really enjoyed learning more about you and your work. So perfect, perfect synergy and great to be here answering your questions, (laughs) having a chat. Awesome. And I've just got to tell you this really exciting thing before we go into our conversation. On Monday, I went for a walk through the rapeseed fields near my house and I came across a swarm. (gasps) Uh, (laughs) Yeah. I was like oh the bees are with me they're really they're they're really with me and I've also noticed a few uh going into the the stonework of of my house and so they're they're kind of going in there but yeah I I I walked past this swarm and and I thought wow I'm recording with you in two days time what are the chances and then this morning I listened to your podcast about how to catch a swarm (laughs) Oh. oh brilliant brilliant so so yeah I'm feeling very like in in sync with the bee energy today. Um oh. right, so did so, you get um, a feeling from the swarm did they give you any ideas of questions that you'd like to ask about the bees or <laughs> things you wanted to know? Oh mate I I've, I've yeah definitely <laughs> definitely <laughs> One thing that I that I felt from from the energy of this this swarm that I walked past in this beautiful yellow rape rapeseed field, they were they were kind of 
attached on a few of the the rape crops that had landed on the floor and they were they were all swarmed around that and i i felt this real gentleness coming from from them and um not i don't know when i'd met a bee face to face as a child and there'd been like a, a swarm we'd all go ah, and run away as children whereas I felt very like grounded and I was with some friends and we just like walked past it and then today I went back to check if it was still there and got a bit of footage on my phone and it was almost like they were happy to see me Oh they, <laughs> yeah and uh, they didn't mind me kind of getting quite close up and filming them and um yeah I've got a little bit more to tell you about this story but I'm going to leave this to my next question I'm I'm a Virgo and I'm like I've got everything in a specific order and if I go off track <laughs> I'm probably going to forget something but yeah I felt welcomed by the bees is that normal it is and I think all living beings love to be seen and heard and they would have known that you saw them and you felt them and that's why they welcomed you back mm. and I could talk about how bees recognize people as well but um, perhaps we'll save that amazing so is I'm feeling quite emotional now as you're as you're talking about this yeah share about how bees recognize people well they Bees work on frequency and vibration. And so they feel, they are very much feeling beings. And we forget as humans that we are also emanating frequencies. And we we acknowledge it in everyday life. So we can feel a bad vibe, a good vibe. We can feel people's energies. We go, oh, they're high energy, low energy. But when you start talking about it um, almost in a more scientific way, People are like, oh, no, that's a bit woo. That's a bit weird. But actually bees, their whole being is about energy and frequency. So not only do they feel you and sense you, but they use their eyes. Honeybees have five eyes and they actually look at you. They see you and they did research on how bees recognize, first of all, plants, flowers, and then they went into buildings, locations and people. And bees will actually look at a triangle of your face. They'll look at your two eyes and your mouth and they can then position you so that they know whether they've seen you before because of those sort of measurements. And the facial recognition that you get on telephone and yeah, on telephones and things is actually evolved from research on bees and that's how they have have done it so isn't that amazing and so when you meet a beekeeper and they're always getting stung you have to ask the question what have they done to upset the bees and you know bees don't just sting just for the the fun of it you know they die when they sting you so I believe bees sting you to heal you but also if you walk up to a hive and you're angry they're going to try and reset your frequency, your vibration. And if you think about it, you know, it's like if if you had a, a naughty child or some, you know, somebody came into your space and they were really angry and you didn't want your space polluted with that energy, you'd want to poke them in the forehead and just go, get out, get out, go away, step back. And that's what bees do. And so the thing is with a sting, the first thing that will do is bring you back to the present moment. And when people are feeling emotion, 
they are more often than not not in the present moment they're either dwelling on the past or fear of the future and if you look at frequencies every frequency is related to an emotion and the lower emotions like anger hate fear grief they will be sort of 80 90 to 100 hertz whereas being present is 250 hertz and the resonance of bees is 256 hertz so their whole being wow. is about being present isn't that mind-blowing <laughs> that's so cool that's incredible and it I, it makes a lot of sense because i just been kind of having a really slow morning decided not to go rush off to the gym and and thought like have my cup of tea in bed and then walk down check if the swarms there and I was feeling really excited and happy so yeah oh they would have loved that the interesting thing as well the on the scale of emotions and frequency the one just before being present is courage and when you approach a hive or a colony of bees and before you're even present you know even if you think of something like bungee jumping where you're going to be very present when you're jumping off a bridge or whatever you need that energy that frequency of courage before you can become present and that's so relative as well with beekeeping you need that bit of courage because there's always a risk you're going to get stung and whether it's by accident or your fault or whatever or whether you need healing it's it's you know it's going to be uncomfortable so there's always in your mind that fear of the future that you may well be stung so then you have to rise to the courage to think well actually I have a good purpose I know what I'm doing in the hive I know what I'm working with the bees and then you become more present and focus on what you're doing and then you almost become invisible with the bees because you're at one with them you're on the same frequency and that's how to work with bees wow it's like your invisible Harry Potter cloak yeah <laughs> yes yeah yeah that's it's a re it's really cool to think about that in terms of meditation and being present with meditation because for me I do need that little bit of courage to actually get me to sit in meditation <laughs> there's there's this fear that as soon as we stop our whole lives are gonna crumble and all and everyone you know no one in the house will eat and what's what's yeah. going to happen but actually we we move through that little bit of courage to presence and and whether it be meditation or or what whatever way that you're trying to get present that's so interesting so true and i find when you're present time expands and that includes when you're meditating and you sort of think oh okay i could probably do a 10 minute meditation and you know, it's like, oh, I haven't really got time, but okay, I'll squeeze in a 10 minute meditation. You might put an audio on or whatever to, that you know is that time. And then once you relax and you calm, you can come out of that 10 minutes feeling like you'd had half an hour. But on the same, you know, way, you could actually be in there and at nine minutes, you're thinking, I want another half an hour. <laughs> you know, I just don't want <laughs> yeah. to come out of this blissful state. So being present is is really, really important, really important for all of us. Yeah. Wow. So you've distilled like a lot of these, this information from, from the bees and you've added it to your own life. And I know that in the talk that I went to with you, you were sharing a lot about your health journey and then how, how the bees had kind of guided you through that. Could you share a little bit 
um, with our listeners about that. Yes, yeah, of course. I think we all um, go through different stages in our lives. And I was somebody who was always very purposeful. I always felt I had a mission in life. And my mission always was to be an artist. And so I was an artist. So I had 20 years as a very successful artist and I exhibited all around the world and I absolutely loved it. And I was certain that that was what I was here to do and all I would ever do. And um, when I was 40, I have two sons who were nine and 11. I'd, I was on my second marriage. So I'd had a period of time as a, a single mum. And I had a stepson who was eight. And I just had a really successful show in London. And there was lots of exciting things coming from that. So I wasn't done. You know, there was there were projects that were taking me on to the next level as an artist. And I started to feel really ill. And as a mum, taking the kids to school, I could sort of get up, feed them, you know, make sure everything was ready for school, do the school run. And then I would come home and I would literally have to be in bed all day. And I kept thinking, oh, perhaps I'm pregnant again because I was so tired and I'd have the tests. And of course, my my periods had stopped as well. So everything was saying, oh, you're pregnant. You know, you've married again. I was um, late 30s and um, or, you know, yeah, 39. And um, so I thought, oh, you know, I'd always wanted a little girl. You know, I've got three, two boys and a, a boy stepson as well. So I'd always wanted a little pink one. And um Gosh, I just thought, I don't think you can say that anymore, can you? <laughs> I'm going to have a little pink girl. Anyway, I thought I would have a, a girl, a daughter that I could pass on all my female wisdom to. And um, and the test results kept coming back saying, no, you're not pregnant. And the doctors didn't know what was wrong. So I just pushed on through. And it really got worse and worse. And I was feeling very nauseous. So again, I was thinking, oh, I must be pregnant. And then one day, after about three months of this progressively getting worse, and not long after I just turned 40, I just couldn't move. I just absolutely could not move. And my, my whole body, it felt like I had my fingers in electrical sockets. I was just tingling all over. I felt if I opened my eyes or if I turned my head, I would be sick. I wasn't sick. And sometimes nausea is you know, you just think, for goodness sake, can't I just have one massive expulsion and then I would feel yeah. better. But I didn't. You know, it was um, it was awful. And I was in excruciating pain. All my joints hurt. My whole body ate and was painful. And um, it, it was really, really frightening. And so I was in a dark room. And again, doctors couldn't figure out what it was. And it sort of goes on for a few days and a few weeks, then a couple of months. And it ended up being seven years. And it was six years before they diagnosed me with Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. And that's a genetic condition that you are born with, apparently, and incurable. So they told me I was a, a classic case. I'd always been hypermobile. I'd actually been under a rheumatologist from the age of 11 because I'd always had chronic pain in my wrists and my ankles and joints. I'd always been hypermobile, but in those days, the 70s and 80s, it was just a cool thing, you know, to be able to put your legs around your neck. And and I was always very good at yoga, you know, I'm very competitive. So that didn't help. And because I'd run my own business for 20 odd years, I probably had not rested as much as I should have done. And I'd gone through a divorce. I'd been a single parent. I'd married again. I had teenage boys, had a stepson. And I think all of those things compounded probably with a bit of perimenopause as well 
and my body just went stop and um so i was diagnosed with diagnosed with ellis danlos syndrome they said there's nothing we can do we are surprised you've lived this long because you've got such a severe case of it and the you know the prognosis isn't good a few years um you know you probably won't be around after 50 and um we can offer you painkillers and antidepressants and i didn't want to take either of those so that whole journey of you know well it was six years before i was diagnosed so that whole journey of the six years I was really looking into how my body worked and what on earth was going wrong with it. So it wasn't just a case of laying flat and waiting for somebody to wave a magic wand. You know, I'd done a lot of research and I had trained as a Reiki master, you know, like 10 years earlier. So I was very open to energetic medicine and and to natural healing. And I've got a lot of friends who cover all kinds of natural naturopathic alternative complementary treatment so I had everything you know I tried everything um including colonics you know changed all my diet you know everything I changed and I could never get beyond having two hours a day where I could be active and active meant washing um being fed you know actually sitting up and eating a meal um I could you know I could with help sort of get around the house a bit but you know I was able to go out in a wheelchair but if I went out you know the consequences were were awful so people never see that you know you see someone out in a wheelchair that was a big shock for me actually was I'd seen people in wheelchairs and I just thought they were feeling like me but just couldn't stand up Mm. and the big shock for me was how sick and ill and painful it was to sit in a wheelchair you know wheelchairs do not have good support anyway and just the fact that I was not laying flat was so uncomfortable and then being transported around um and and trying to look at people and you've always got your neck twisted up you know because everybody's taller than you and um everything is to one side you know you can't get close enough straight away in a wheelchair so it was very very uncomfortable and um so it was a real relief to get the diagnosis because then it was confirmation that I was really ill. It wasn't just in my imagination. There was mm. something physically wrong with me. And I think this comes back to the being heard and being seen that um, with conventional Western medicine, they like to put you into a, a box. And if they can't put you in a box with a certain ailment, then they'd rather that you didn't keep bothering them because you really are an inconvenience. And whether that is intention or not, that's certainly how I felt. And I know a lot of other people with chronic conditions feel. And if you're not able to leave your house, you do become very isolated because, you know, in in the seven years I had two visits by doctors to my home, um, which is is quite shocking. And and I had some quite nasty episodes as well while I was ill where carers really thought we should have an ambulance. You know, I'd collapse or I'd have really severe chest pains. Um, so it was a, a really dire time, but very good for learning meditation, because for at least the first two years, that was literally all I could do. And because I'd done so much yoga, I just used to lay in bed and to try and distract myself. I would visualize a whole yoga lesson. Wow. You know, I knew it would be an hour. I would do the sun salutations. I would try and breathe as if I was doing it. And that was really, really valuable. It, 
you know, on so many levels, because it did calm me, it helped pass the time, it made me feel that I could still do things. But then I started extending it to um, remembering things I had done, places I had been, and then walks I had done. And then what I started to do was imagine or visualize walks I'd like to do, or walks that I'd done, but that I wasn't present, wasn't conscious of. And what's incredible is when you have that time to do it, it's amazing how everything we do in our lives goes into our heads and we have it stored there. And when you can recall it, you recall it in so much detail. It's just astonishing how much information our bodies take in. And a walk that I practiced whilst I was bedbound was um, Ringstead Bay on the Dorset coast to Lulworth Cove. Mm. And it was a walk I'd done many times, you know, as a child, as a teenager, as an adult, but not really consciously. You know, I knew how many hours it would take, you know, an hour and a half, and I could picture certain landmarks. But what was incredible was how the detail that when I would lay down and think, right, I'm now going to walk, you know, I'm going to walk from. So I'd imagine getting out of the car and walking to the first bit and maybe looking at the beach, walking on the pebbles, you know, the different footpaths. And I'd remember the houses. I'd remember trees. I'd remember little bridges, footpaths, even certain flowers. It was astonishing. So after six years, I got the diagnosis and I'd. I'd spent about two years researching Ellis Danos before I got the diagnosis. So I was prepared for that. And I thought that might be what I had. And I'd already made the decision that once that was confirmed, I'd become a patient of a medical herbalist who happened to move into my town so I could actually visit her. And that's what I did. And eight months after her treatments or from her treatments, I was able to walk with walking sticks. So I didn't need my carers, which was a huge relief. So I could feel like I was more of a a mum you know, and, and a wife, you know, the house was mine again, instead of having all these people coming in, doing all the cooking and, and taking care of everybody. And, um, and then my mum introduced me to plant-based minerals. And so I took those and that was like somebody flipped a switch. And within a couple of weeks, I just thought, my gosh, I'm actually feeling like I want to walk. I'm feeling like I want to do stuff. So after a few months, um, we decided to test run the Dorset Coast Pass. So we walked from Weymouth to Swanage, including my little bit that I'd done so many times in my head. And um, and that's what we did. And I knew then I was well. But the bees, two years into being bedbound, um, I'm a Sagittarian. My birthday is in November. So I'd been a great one for having parties, for traveling, doing something exciting on my birthday, always celebrating it. And of course, I couldn't do that whilst I was ill. And to help me cope with the really awful situation I was in, I would always try and focus on the positive. So Mm. instead of thinking about what I couldn't do, which was my art, running my business, visiting friends, I would think about what I could do. And that's why I focused on meditation because I could do that. And I'd focused on doing meditation, yoga, because I could do that and meditation walking. And I started to think about all the things I'd wanted to do when I had my career as an artist, but I was too busy to do them. And one of the things I'd always thought I'd do was keep bees. No idea why. I just thought it's something I would do. And being a Dorset girl, I was inspired by um, um, Bathsheba Everdeen, you know, from Far From the Madding Crowd, Thomas Hardy's books. And there's a scene in the film of Far From the Madding Crowd with Julie Christie in, so the 1960s film, 
and she's got this beautiful linen dress on and she's up a ladder and she's got a bee skep and she's catching a swarm and she's got this beautiful big wide brimmed hat with a, a silk veil on and she just looks gorgeous and everything about her she's this independent beautiful young woman who's being chased by all these men but she's standing strong on her own. She's running her farm as a woman should do it, not how all the men should do it. So she's really nurturing for everybody, but she's still very young and learning stuff. And there she's catching a swarm of bees. And I think that image had just gone into my head. And I just thought, yeah, I want to keep bees. So Greg said, what do you want for your birthday? And I said, a beehive. And he's like, <laughs> don't be silly. You can't, you haven't got any bees. You can't have a beehive if you haven't got bees. And I said, well, you can't have bees until you have a beehive. So I need a beehive. Well, where are you going to get the bees from? I said, I don't care. I know they'll come. If I have a hive, they'll come. And so reluctantly, he built me a beehive and they came. The bees came and I had a local mentor who put bees in. So the bees were part of my journey. So from two years in, I had the bees and every week I'd be wheeled out, propped up, you know, next to the hive. And I had a mentor who taught me about beekeeping. Wow. That's such an incredible story I love that there's like lots more that I learned in there compared to when I when I listened at the conference yeah it's been a real journey for you and it sounds like they kind of came really at, at the right time and have have just been a, a, re a real healing guide for you I know that in like Celtic mythology and shamanic mythology there's so much juice there about about the bees and and with the with the healing is there any particular like lineage that you follow um in terms of bee medicine or is it is it something that you've kind of curated and created yourself I think um the longer I've been working with bees then I've come to learn about all the history and the different traditions but for me I had a very conventional beekeeper who just put bees in the hive and taught me beekeeping. But the real um, awakening for me was after we'd taken our first honey harvest. And the next time Chris came to see the bees, he had this um, big brown packet. And I said, oh, you know, what's in the packet? And he said, oh, it's for the bees. And I said, what have we got for the bees? I was so excited. And, you know, we'd had this harvest and the bees were all happy and healthy. And when he unwrapped it, it was sugar, um, a sugar fondant. And I was so horrified because every part of my body was like, no, we cannot feed bees sugar. And I was so shocked and so stunned by it. And then so ashamed because it's obvious if you take all the honey, what are the bees going to eat? And I knew in every part of my body it was wrong. And there's this really wise, experienced, lovely beekeeper telling me, no, this is what we do. And, you know, when when I started to question other beekeepers and I'd say, you know, we just can't feed them sugar. I know we can't feed them sugar, but we have evolved in humanity to always be able to prove why we think something or we believe something. There's always got to be the science or the evidence that proves it and what I found so frustrating and so difficult was why could nobody else see how wrong this was and because I'd been ill and I'd been observing my health and experimenting with all kinds of things I'd stopped eating sugar and that really helped stop the nausea 
So I knew there was a connection with sugar and nausea. I also knew that sugar was a real toxin. It was highly addictive and there was no good for it in a sick body. And why on earth would we give a processed white sugar to wild creatures like bees who have collected nutritious honey? And it just blew my mind. And that was when I realized that I was on my own in the beekeeping world and that I had to prove what I intuitively know. I really had to find the evidence because I could not stand by and watch this practice continue. And and so I suppose that's when I had to really trust my intuition and and my intuition led me to doing certain research. But really, it was geared up about understanding human health and then translating that into bee health, because that was all I had. And I suppose working with the bees, listening to them, trying to listen to them and, and sitting with them and not really expecting them to communicate with me. Um, and probably not asking enough questions, but basically tuning into my intuition and going, this is, I know it's wrong. This is what we have to do. So it started off with the sugar. Um, actually, before that, it was it was worrying about smoke. I didn't like using smoke and a hive, but that wasn't so controversial. And my bees were so calm and gentle that that wasn't an issue. We just didn't use smoke. And um, And so then it was the sugar and then it was the chemical treatments inside hives. And by then, Chris, my mentor, when it came to Varroa treatment season and he came with his stuff, he said, I know that you're not going to want chemicals. So I've brought a natural treatment, um, thymol, to treat your bees for Varroa. And I was like, oh, what's in it? Oh, I don't know. It doesn't feel right. I really don't want to do it. And he's saying, well, we have to, otherwise we're all going to die of Varroa. So we had this one treatment of thymol. And you know, I think it's like a lot of things in life, you know, when you're a mum and, and you, you get pregnant and suddenly you have to make these decisions that you're not prepared for and you haven't had enough time to really research it. And and it's like that with beekeeping. Suddenly something happens and it's like, oh, I haven't got time. I, and I, I And you have to trust somebody. And I think we've been educated to not trust ourselves. You know, we always mm. have to trust something or somebody outside of ourselves. And so I had to really go on this um, deep research learning curve of, of whatever I could find out about bees. And as I got well, I began studying to be a medical herbalist. So my emphasis then was about herbs and about my own health and, and, and that kind of connection. And then I started to realize <clears throat> all the relationships with bees. And then I, when I was well, I then had opportunities to go and travel around the world and meet with different beekeepers where they don't feed sugar, where they don't use chemicals. And I could meet scientists and say, so why not? And why are we doing it? And why are you not? And once I found that there was evidence that bees treated even with natural thymol, which is using essential oil of thyme, plus some other goodies, um, <clears throat> that can create infertility in the male bees in the second generation of a treated hive. And that for me was like, boom, you know, now I know. And and I know I've changed even commercial beekeepers. So honey producers, once they've had that bit of evidence, that's been enough for them to go. Yeah. OK, we're going treatment free. 
So it, you know, I don't, I don't want to seem arrogant, but I think just through default and my situation, I had to find my own way. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't in a position to go to groups because I couldn't travel around. So it really was the internet, universities, um, you know, any kind of research papers and books, lots and lots of books. Yeah, that's it's so lovely and refreshing to to hear that story, because like you said, we we have kind of had um, a lot of our agency taken away from us. And um, we're kind of told that, you you know, you need to be doing a specific course or stu- or studying under this governing body. But actually, so much of it we can garner from our, ourselves, from our intuition and from the Internet. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's so much wisdom available to us now. Yeah. But now what I do a lot more is is really go on my intuition and with my experience with the bees that I work with. And what is so exciting is I've now been mixing with scientists in Slovenia and Turkey who are interested in my intuitive thoughts that will then inspire them or is inspiring them to then try and prove what I'm thinking because I'm I'm feeling stuff that hasn't been either tested or tried or fully understood and that's really really exciting that's you know, that... so exciting that makes me want to do a big squeal <laughs> I, know. <laughs> I know people like you and me this is what we should be getting paid for <laughs> for yes. our yeah. highly intuitive gifts <laughs> yeah. yeah so that's just wonderful so I feel in a really blessed grateful place and and it gives me confidence then to train my B team and my students you know with my online courses Mm -hmm. um to really be sure that I'm always practicing what I preach and that I give people the confidence to really hold on really hold with what the values are to not go down that fearful route of oh I need to interfere I need to do this it really is sitting back and observing the bees and yet having the wisdom and knowledge so that you're not being irresponsible you know it it is getting that balance it's not a case of just putting bees in a hive and ignoring them and dancing around them once in a while it is that really knowing what's going on scientifically you know that you know the life cycle of the bees you know what should be happening but then you're also spending time using all of your senses to know what is going on and what help your bees may need. Mm, yeah, this leads me perfectly on to the next question, which is how can we apply what we've learned for, or what you've learned from bees into business? As this is the New Earth Business Podcast, a lot of people that listen are entrepreneurs and or are starting to create conscious companies. Now, I've been doing a, a little bit of research about this, but I'd love to get your take on on a few sort of principles that we can take from, from the bees and then apply them into, into our businesses. Okay, brilliant. I love this. I've, one of the things I missed whilst I was ill was not so much the painting, but it was running the business. I just am so passionate about business, but also about running passion-led businesses and, have, and building a team and having it as a loving, creative team. And when I started beekeeping, obviously I was interested in any kind of connection between business and bees and the organisation of the hive. 
And it's always been portrayed that it's a feminine monarchy, that you have a queen and she rules all these female worker bees. And then you have a few male bees that just do as they're told, eat, fed, get pampered and go off and mate with a queen and fall to their deaths. But in actual fact, there's this amazing quote, which I'm afraid to say, I cannot remember who said it, but every decision a bee makes is for the good of the species. Every decision a human makes is for the good of the self. And when you are running a business or you're inside a hive, you have to think about the consequences for the whole being. And with honeybees, we see a single bee and we think it's a whole being, but it isn't. It's part of a super organism, which is 50,000 bees. And I heard this amazing talk last year by this old boy called Willie Robson, who's his family beekeeping business has been like 75 years. And I think he's been keeping bees 68 years, you know, with his dad who set it up. And I thought he'd be a conventional beekeeper, but he isn't. He has great tough native bees he doesn't feed them sugar doesn't use chemicals and he is a honey producer um chambridge honey in northumberland so not the easiest place to keep bees and he said bees have a corporate memory and i'm like oh you know is this one of those embarrassing moments where somebody's used the wrong word you know and <laughs> you know it doesn't make sense anyway he hadn't he'd used the perfect word because he said with his bees Bees live six weeks. The queen lives two to seven years, but the individual bees live six weeks. So if one of these individual bees leaves the hive and it finds this amazing source of nectar or pollen, it's going to go back to the hive. Now, if it kept that wisdom to itself, the hive would not benefit because there would not be enough bees. That one bee could not collect enough nectar for the benefit of the whole. But also the bees are only flying for the last three weeks of their lives, if that so once that bee dies, that knowledge would have been lost. So what the bee does is it comes back and it dances. So there's this other quote, when a bee sees food, it dances more. Humans, when they see food, they eat more. But the bee will dance more. And the dance is telling the whole hive where that source of nectar is. But also the, the dance will say, the plant source is about this big. We're going to need this many bees. It's going to take this long. The sun is at this position. Um, the nectar will last for this many minutes or hours. And we need this many bees to stay behind to receive the honey when it comes in. And that dance is carried through in the resonance of the wax. So the whole hive get to know that knowledge and the memory of that the corporate memory is held within the corporation of the big organism. So if you think if you're running a business and you have a team, if one of your team discovers some little, you know, hack with social media or how to do the website, you don't want them to keep it to themselves. You want them to put it in an SOP that the whole company has so that when they go off on maternity or on holiday or leave the company, your company has got that knowledge. And I do liken it all a bit to the Borg, you know, if anybody ever watched Star Trek, um, I was always, I always found the Borg really frightening. They're this cube of sort of cyborgs. And what they would do, um, their planet was this sort of big technical cube. And the cyborgs would go to a planet and they would see a new species. And what they would do is literally put their hands on the, like the neck and they would just absorb 
all the knowledge of that species and that species would then be absorbed with the Borg. So the Borg had the knowledge of everything they had overcome, which made them a super organism that was very difficult mm. to defeat. You couldn't stand up against the Borg. So on the one hand, as an individualist, it's absolutely horrific. And you think, my gosh, I don't want to do that. But for the success of the species, so as the bees, they need to hold all that information. And then where the human perspective is that the men don't do anything, you know, they just eat, sleep and, and have a party with the queens. In actual fact, the male bees have these huge eyes and they have freedom to roam in all the different hives. So if you oh, want to go into sort of really deep spiritual stuff, those drones are absorbing the information from how all these other colonies of honeybees are organizing themselves, where they're getting their forage. And then when the male bee mates with the queen, it's on a really special energetic spot. Um, so they have these drone congregation areas, which are often sort of cross points of, of energetic or geopathic stress lines. And that knowledge is input into the queen and the queen will make with between 15 and 48 drones before she returns to the hive having stored all the sperm from all those drones so the dna the imprint the memories of all these drones has gone into the queen so that that colony the next colony they've got the collective wisdom of their species of that area and this is why we should not be importing bees. We we have to allow our bees to evolve in their native area. So when we have a business, we need to think as being a corporate whole. And if you are running a business, you're not the queen who just sort of flits around and gets pampered and doesn't do any of the work. You are that energetic source that holds together the, the faith of the survival of your species or your business. And so it's really important that the queen or the, you know, that the ruler of any company is regularly touched by all the bees. So in the, or by all the teams. So the, the queen inside a hive, if all the bees don't smell her pheromone or don't have contact with her, they go into disarray and panic and they just think, oh, we're, we're dying. And they do die out. And I think it's, you know, I go in and I train in corporate with sort of team management and how to motivate teams to work together. And I have noticed this when companies grow, particularly if they grow very quickly, the leader can become too detached from all the workers. And then chaos arises because they don't know what the values are. They haven't got that connection to source that gives them the faith to take the risks to experiment, to share the corporate knowledge that they're learning. And I think this is the new way of running business. This is the new earth paradigm. This is the way that we have to work as, as a collective, that every piece is as important. And as a queen of a colony or as a leader of a business, you have that responsibility to hold the wisdom through several generations. And that's you know that that's just the tip of the iceberg but that's how I see it yeah <laughs> that's incredible I didn't realize they held this ancestral wisdom and that was how it was yeah spread out through the through the hives and it makes so much sense not to bring them in from other places now I'm, I'm literally never buying honey 
unless it's local honey from that particular place that I'm in wow also well, I've got then local honey is not yes so local honey is not um honey is only as good as the environment it comes from mm-hmm. and you need to know how the beekeeper is keeping the bees and what the bees are foraging from and now our government have allowed neonicotinoids again in crops um on sugar beet we cannot be poisoning the pollinators without poisoning ourselves and so if you have a honey from ethical sustainable environments around the world you are supporting um good healthy beekeeping and also healthy agriculture so i know we should support things locally but we have a a planetary problem we have an earth size problem and i think we need to look at things from a global situation and if there are areas of the world where they're taking care of the bees where they have a pristine forest where they have lots of wild flowers we should be buying that honey mm. because we're supporting that environment and also particularly from you know the tropic region um the bees don't have a winter so you can take honey because the bees aren't trying to store honey to get them through the winter and here in Britain, our bees really struggle without having enough forage and they need to collect enough honey through the summer to get them through the winter to feed themselves. And so we really are limited to how much honey we can take from our bees. Mm. And the more we try and buy local honey, the more pressure we're putting on the beekeepers to take the honey from our bees without planting enough food to feed them and without the climate to give the bees forage all year round. Mm, thank you so much for that information that's super super powerful I've just been recently in Thailand running a retreat there and I was walking to from one thing to another and one of the staff members at the sanctuary where I was working came up to me with a with a little box and uh, and opened it and there was a honeycomb in there and a few beads still in the in the honeycomb and it was it was it was a shock because obviously uh, as as we've been gearing up for this podcast recording, the bees are really being present with me. And um, and she said, "Here, go, grab some." And there was a few little bees still in there, and I grabbed a bit, and it tasted so different from any honey that I've ever tasted before. This is created on Kofan Yang, so like that was the, their local local honey and um and then i went and did a really powerful meditation sort of workshop afterwards and i think it was it was all it was all about um sharing your voice and the 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 blockages that we have in terms of like things that we learned at school that said that, you know, we weren't good singers and this and that and ideas that our parents put on us. And the, the workshop that I was running was all about claiming your voice. And I really felt the energy of the bees with me after I'd like gobbled down all this lovely honey. <laughs> and I also, I, I, I don't know, I feel like they're very supportive to sharing of a voice sharing of a of song because again it's it's frequency isn't it it's like bees hum that's yeah. that's their song and the greeks used to believe that if um actors and orators and writers would eat the honey it would sweeten their tongue um so that you know it would sweeten their voice it would sweeten their words wow. so isn't that lovely that that's so you know, what cool. a connection yeah 
Yeah, so going back to what I was saying earlier about finding this swarm, so I, I found it and then thought, oh, well, that's a beautiful thing and didn't think much else of it. And then spoke to a, a friend of mine who lives up the road from me on a on a farm and said, oh, I found a swarm. And she said, oh, our friend Dan, his both of his swarms died at the beginning of the year. Um, are they called swarms or called, what do you call them when they're or in a the, colony? Yeah, a colony, a yeah. Colony. So yeah. two colonies died at the beginning of the year. And so he's, he's looking to populate his hives again. Now, this this person has become a good friend of mine it's since I've moved here to Somerset and he sells cacao and I've started to use his cacao in my cacao ceremonies and we've got this lovely relationship building and it was like this kind of series of of connections like found the swarm told the friend then the friend said oh another friend ne needs one so I sent him a picture today and he's coming around later and we're gonna go and and collect it this afternoon oh, wow <laughs> and you listen to the podcast and now you know what you want to do <laughs> the podcast and now I know what to do um but I for me the real the medicine of the bees that coming to me in this moment is is the connection and how how we we can yeah use the the idea and the energy of of the bees to then connect with other humans and yeah. that's how, that's basically what you were saying before it's like this wisdom is being passed down i'm i'm showing my friend dan the way to get to the to the thing so he can then oh. use it and then i'll be sitting in a cacao ceremony with him and surely i'll use some of the honey that those bees have made to sweeten the cacao and this yeah. beautiful circle just continues i'm so excited about it all. Oh, well, the Buddhists in Bhutan, they believe the highest level of reincarnation is as a bee. And in the Quran, there's a whole chapter called the bee where Allah gave his wisdom to the bees to pass on to humanity. So I like to see the bees as this sort of higher realm that circulates the earth. And when we want to connect with each other or with the higher realms we use the bees and the bees really do connect everything and when I first started keeping bees and you know when I first got well and I had you know my herbal medicine studies I was or I still am a distributor for the minerals that really helped me and and I was a beekeeper and I felt I had three separate businesses or you know sort of aspects to my myself but then I got an opportunity to work with the bees and what was incredible is the more so I went all in on bees you know I just went all in I had to become an expert before the newt opened you know I had two years of working with the bees there before they opened to the public and I knew I had to have some credibility you know because of being treatment free and not feeding them sugar and all of this and what was amazing was the more I studied about bees the more it pulled together the minerals and the herbs so the bees are the original medical herbalists and I love that and the healing you know the products from the hive are all medicine you know in the Quran it is that you know the the different colored honeys that come from the bellies of the bees are are signs of the different healing properties so you know again that connects to the plants they're different colored honeys because they've come from different plants so I love it I love it I know you know every day is a school day and there's always so much more to learn about bees and and they just keep wowing me with the way they connect everything and everybody when you're ready.
It's and I think there is this humanity. Humanity has this pull or this desire to understand bees. When you just look everywhere that bees are on tea towels and mugs and t-shirts and jewelry and people who've got no other connection with bees are buying things with bees on because they feel a pull to the bees they don't know what they don't know and they're just wanting to connect with bees so I feel the bees because they're sharing our environment they're like that last layer of wake up to save our planet they're like okay you're killing us you've been killing us for ages we can show you how to save the planet save yourselves and save us and we can all move on to this higher realm and and i find that fascinating and if i can delve into a a, a belief i have please do okay um the last few years obviously as i've become better known as a beekeeper i have more and more people telling me when they see bees and telling me when they don't and telling me when they see dead bees and over the last few years I am seeing more and more bees I'm just seeing bees everywhere and naturally I'm concerned about environmental issues and you know chemtrails and EMF radiation and and all the things that could be killing bees however in my life I'm seeing more bees in my garden I'm seeing more bees everywhere but I'm also having that polar opposite where, where people are going we haven't seen any bees we're you know it's quiet we're not not got any birds and I was really contemplating this because I'm thinking what is going on really what is going on and I feel as the resonance or the frequency of humanity is changing we really are having a separation of two earths and I feel one is that lower frequency third dimensional earth and we have the fifth dimension and there are many of us who are straddling the two we're dipping into that third dimension but we're wanting to be in the fifth we we believe that it's coming but we're not quite sure whether we're there yet or not and maybe with certain groups of people we're fully in there and then with other groups of people we're back to the third dimension and I think the bees have left the third dimension and I think that's why people are seeing all the death and I have odd snippets of wisdom from people who may not appear that they, they have one message from the bees that they will share with me and some of them have been considered mad or crazy or wrong or whatever and I've been pulling together all these little bits and something that one person said to me was you don't need to worry about bees with 5g and I've been worrying about bees with 5g for years and it really played on me and I'm like how can we not be worried about bees 5g but they wouldn't elaborate they just said there's other stuff to worry about don't worry about that and then I had this realization that 5G, the negative parts of 5G are a third dimensional world and the bees don't need to be there. And that's why we don't need to worry about the bees because they can leave. They're flitting between the worlds and they're taking with them who wants to join them. And I just love that because like a swarm, we're following the bees and as we step closer to the bees we have more birds we have more flowers we have more deeper connections with our land with our environment with fellow beings and we're creating a new earth which is heavenly mm. and full of the the resonance of bees mm. so I just just love it so I'm not worried I'm really optimistic I'm really excited and um yeah, that's that's how I see where we are now. Yeah, thank you so much for bringing that up because this 
the the concept that you're talking about has just been getting more and more strong for me over these last few months really and um that difference between especially with friendship groups and kind of going from one group sort of slightly more 3d conversations to to then another group where you just feel really seen and really heard and Mm. I can't get it out of my head at the moment that I'm literally living in two separate realities Mm. and I'm really interested in how it's how it's gonna flow over the next few few years whether because I know they're not actual physical the the they're simultaneously like quantumly layered on top of each other they're both there's not like one world and another world and it's it's our perception it's our frequency that we're on so it's really interesting that the bees are you're finding these bees are just like they're resonating on that frequency now and they're not bothering with that and they're leaving all of that bit to just mm. do what it needs to do and I suppose I feel like our our role there is is to be that messenger and be that bridge at the moment like going going back and getting getting a soul oh, maybe over there and saying come over here yeah I mean interestingly I'm involved with a project in the north of England called the Arc, and it's spelled A-R-C as a bridge and that is a building which is combining social economic and sort of research all about bees but inspired living for humans so it's a concept of a um a selection of buildings where people can live work study learn play enjoy bees but it's inspired by the spirituality of bees and what is so interesting is that I'm involved with the founder and together we are having such deep conversations to try and create this new project and we've got the the architects and the planners and the surveyors and all this going on who are saying well what about the water what about electricity but what we are realizing is our conversations have to be in on a fifth dimensional level and it's it's so exciting but it's also so difficult because we all so easily get trapped back to the economics of third dimension um just with valuing our time valuing the project timelines everything and we're having to work together to enable this bee arc to create itself and it has to be built by a community it is not James and I just being like king and queen and and building this arc it is constructing a bridge that is evolving from dreams from dreams I was gonna say it's got I'm just connecting I'm like oh my god this is all coming in a dream (laughs) yeah it is and oh and I'm getting these little snippets so I learned um just a couple of weeks ago I mean it's just like so fast at the moment there's all these little things coming together but the indigenous tribes around the world communicate with each other through dream time. So the Aborigines know exactly what the Native Americans are doing. The Kogi know what, you know, they're doing up in, um, you know, the Arctic. And it's just, they have other ways of communicating, which could well be through the bees. You know, it is that, that extra layer. And so we've got to let go of our restrictive limitations of how we construct a new earth 
And that's really, it is tough work. It really is when you hear about people doing the work, it is doing the work because you have to heal yourself. You have to be aware and then do the work and then move on. And it, it, you know, is like three steps forward, two steps back, but Mm -hmm. it's so exciting. Yeah. It's a constant process of, of dissolving, I think, Mm. like dissolving Mm -hmm. that layer and the next layer. And then you're, then you get something happen to you in life and then, yeah, you go, you go back a few steps and, um, and keep going. But I am, I'm so proud of you. <laughs> Thank oh. you for, for going on this journey for everyone and, and sharing your work with the world and, and your insights. And I could absolutely talk to you forever. I don't think I've even scratched the surface on my questions <laughs> because we've just had a great conversation, but perhaps there's a part two in the mix. Oh yeah. Couple of last little little moments. Um, what can we do? What can people, the listeners, do sort of locally to support the bees and to to help them learn from the bees in their business? Okay. So the bees need more flowers and they need less chemicals. So the two things you can do: plant more flowers, make sure they're not treated with any nasties, and um buy eat grow chemical free food if we do that the more of us who do that will tip the scale it'll become more affordable for everyone and that is the best thing to do so it's not about getting a beehive it's about protecting our environment so the bees can be strong the bees don't need us we need the bees more than they need us yeah and then with business i think it is that learning from that that colony and that really cooperative nurturing caring environment that the bees have spent 150 million years to get right why do we have to try and start from scratch let's learn from the bees and what makes them such a successful species and that that's what we need to bring into our businesses absolutely I'm on that journey at the moment I've been I feel like I've been too long the solo entrepreneur and uh, oh. I feel my work's really, really changing and, and evolving into something else at the moment. I don't know what yet, but I know it's it's team led and I'm ready mm. for that. Yeah. And I think that's a big step for particularly entrepreneurs who are very solo. And you often, particularly if you're in your kind of work and my kind of work, where you, you do feel isolated because you're not that conventional business and you're dealing with healing on, in whatever form. and the way we have to evolve is realizing we well it's not we can't do it on our own we don't need to do it on our own you know we need to collaborate we need to share the wisdom each of us have so that together we can accelerate humanity's growth yeah and not be scared of sharing Mm, and not feel like that's my idea I have ownership on that idea as you just um mentioned so beautifully like the aborigine tribes people will know what the indigenous uh native american indian people are are dreaming about and and sharing those dreams and sharing those wisdom and we can we can learn so much from from that so my final question what does new earth business mean to you it means love it means security and cooperation it's that real heart-centered growing together as a team 
yeah that that's what it means to me and feminine energy but with masculine warriors supporting that energy yeah we definitely need to do it all together everyone's got their places for sure absolutely yeah yeah well Paula thank you this conversation has been so inspiring I absolutely can't wait to get it out to everyone um I'd love to know how how we can connect with you and oh yeah I've got here are there any books or podcasts that we can listen to to learn more about this obviously oh yeah so so give give me me my own works (laughs) okay so I have my own podcast um which is creating a buzz about health I've got two books out um a to b's artist to b's and a quest for bees in Bhutan I'm writing two more books. One is Creating Buzz About Health, which is more detail about my health journey and how I maintain my health. And This Is Honey, which I hope to have both of those out by the end of this year. I've got a website, paulacarnell.com. You can see me or my wonderful team of beekeepers at the Newt in Somerset. So we run bee safaris Monday to Friday at 2.30. So you have to be a member and you've got a book you know, through the website. And for guests of the hotel, we do um, honey tastings twice a week. So one of my beating Kerry, she's also trained like myself to be a honey sensory analyst um, in Bologna. So she runs those with me. And at the new, I'm so excited. Um, at the end of July, we will be holding a bee immersion stay. So people who want to stay at the new and want to have a deeper involvement and connection with the bees, and I am personally hosting them from the Thursday afternoon to the um, Saturday. Um, I'm just so excited. We've spent several months sort of planning this and putting it all together. And, you know, the newt, it's got its two hotels, but with the farmyard, it's a little bit out of the way. So they've put aside just five rooms so that we can have this really intimate group and um and I'm really excited about that so if anybody wants to know about that either contact Antonella at the newt or myself um and yeah and then we can give more details but I just love helping people have that deeper connection with bees so that's more of what I want to be doing is is that kind of um healing work and helping people connect with bees and nature Mm, that experience at the newt sounds amazing that full immersion oh (laughs) i know know. such a wonderful place to be fully immersed with bees we've got the space we've got the woodlands we've got the bees so really exciting well i look forward to coming to one of your events or another talk in in the future um I think that's it from me. So thank you so much for for showing up and for giving your time. And I know that you're super busy at the moment and spring is where lots of like bee maintenance needs to happen. So thank you so much. Oh, well, it's been an absolute pleasure and such an honor. And I just feel there's so much that the bees want to share with everyone. So it's really important that I've been given these opportunities. So thank you so much. What a wonderful conversation with Paula and just sending out a big wave of buzzy gratitude to those bees because this chat has taught me so much 
about myself, about my business, and about how I want to work with bees moving forward. I'm recording this bit at a different time from the recording of the actual podcast, but I just want to go back to what I was saying at the beginning, because on this day, when the podcast was recorded, I had encountered a swarm in a field next door to my house, and I told a friend that I'd found a swarm of bees. They were attached to some rape that was growing. Um, and they told me that another friend of mine was looking for a swarm because two of his flew off early this year. And going back to what Paula was saying about the communication of the bees, this is like, it's so interlinked, isn't it? So we communicated and then I called up my friend and sent him a picture and said, look, here's, here's a swarm. Let's, um, let, let's go. So he came over with all of his beekeeping kit white gloves, hat, full suit, and off we went with the box and a few other bits of apparatus to get the bees. And I have never been so amazed by nature. I I went into this full flow state. When we arrived at the bees, Dan, my friend who was who's the beekeeper, he was saying Hello ladies, we're just here to uh, to welcome you to your new home. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to move you from here to here and then back to here to give you a new house. Um, and I was like, this is brilliant. The bees have this this consciousness that can can be felt and it can be sensed and as soon as we're putting that voice into the space it's almost like that swarm relaxed they they knew that they were going to have this this place to go and um once we'd got the queen from the the piece of rape which was covered in all of the bees surrounding it and we put that into into a box all of the other bees one by one started to to follow uh, the pheromones into the box and the sound alone was stunning just this this loud vibrational hum was enough to to settle your your nervous system and um at a few points I was feeling like oh I'm scared the bees are gonna sting me and then actually it was it was okay and they didn't and I just dropped into presence filmed a few little videos and and left feeling like I had been kissed by the energy of the bees. So I just wanted to add that into this space because this is the bee episode and I am a complete and utter devotee of bee medicine now in all of its different forms. I also had some mead at the weekend which was just delicious and I I hope to I hope to try and create some of my own one day. So this is the end of the podcast. Thank you so much for listening. If you've loved this episode, then please let me know. Send me a DM on Instagram. Send me an email, hello at emmashoesmith.com. I produce these episodes and I put them out into the world and my listener rate is going up and up and up with each episode. But it's really hard for me to tell who's actually listening. So when I do get those messages into my inbox that say, hey, that episode changed me, it moved me, it inspired me, 
oh, it makes me feel so good and I love doing it. And I am now actually asking for donations so I can keep creating videos from the podcast to get the, the medicine and the wisdom out further and onto social media. So if you go down into the link in the show notes, then you will see my PayPal link, which is paypal forward slash paypal me forward slash emma Smith, and just hit that link if you feel like you want to donate share with a friend like and subscribe and rate on itunes and give us a five star rating on spotify until next time have a beautiful day a week an evening a morning wherever you are whatever you're doing i'm sending you a big wave of love and i can't wait to check in with you next time